deep shot. He's got a touchdown. And Mahomes at bay. The Tampa Bay Bucks. Super Bowl 55. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Bucks Banter Podcast. I am your host, as always, Colin Halboom. Happy to be here on what is a victory Monday for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I am joined by my co-host, Scott Capron. Scotty, quite a, quite a day yesterday. How are you, my friend? No kidding, man. Yeah, good, good. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Um, you, you know, you referred to it as a victory Monday and just a ho-hum victory Monday, too. You know, what I like easy peasy, just a, you know, run-of-the-mill type of NFL game. Uh, kind of didn't even need to watch it, to be completely honest. Oh, wait, it was the complete opposite. Yeah, I mean, if we we're talking about the first half, then you could get away with that. But uh, it was it, that game was really a tale of two completely different halves. It was really? like two different games. Uh, Buffalo 100%. at their best, the Bucks at their best. Yeah, and at their each kind of at their worst in different times as well, obviously, as, uh, as it turned out. But, oh, my goodness, what a way to end. Just like we all thought going into overtime – it would be a Brashad Perriman 60-yard touchdown, right? Like, you know, that was uh, that was the way it was always going to play out, right? But uh, but in, in all seriousness, kind of a fascinating football game just to see where both teams are at. Obviously, I can't wait to see the comments from, uh, you know, from our Bucks fan contingent just to see, just to kind of get a general pulse of what they thought of that game. Um, are they taking more positives away from it? Or are they, or they, or are they more concerned with the blown lead? And... Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's so much to get into from this game specifically. There really is. Um, so, I mean, Brady dominated the first half and Josh Allen dominated the second half. So it was really a tale of two MVP caliber players at the quarterback position, two of the best the game has to offer at completely different points of their careers, obviously. Uh, the Bucks were near flawless in a lot of ways in that first half uh, from a play calling perspective yeah. as well. Loved how they how Leftwich was calling the game early on. Um, he, still waiting, and not not to say it's all on Leftwich. You got to execute, and Brady missed a lot of throws in the second half. Um, but I do think his play calling changed as well, and and I do notice a bit of a trend with that um, in terms of you know the, the things we've harped on even coming into this year that we were we were really going to be looking for at least I was from this Buccaneers offense um, and the play calling first half in terms of first down okay play calls. First half, 13 passes um, and 18 run plays. So in the second half, the first down play calling was four passes and nine runs. So when he starts to resort to that predictable running it up to gut on first down, um, it first off, it just isn't as effective. And that's something we've seen for a while. So I just want to see Leftwich kind of stick with what works. I know it's really easy to say and you know, game scripts change as the game goes on and all that stuff. But just looking at those numbers, it's a little bit frustrating. Not enough play action. Um, and yeah, it's the, the Bucks same, same issue that they've had. Totally, totally. And they'd only like in the second half, talking about a tale of two halves, the Bucks offense had only produced three points in that entire second half uh, until that Brashad Perriman 58 yard touchdown in overtime to win the game. Holy shit. What a game, man. Like, I, I thought they were. I, 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 Thankfully, I wasn't one of the the many Bucks fans who were getting a little too cocky in that first half on Twitter, at least. Like maybe I was internally, yeah. but there was a lot of tweets going out talking a lot of shit to Bills fans. And uh, sure enough, that second half, man, Josh Allen came to play. Josh Allen looked fantastic. The Bucks D looked tired. If we're talking second half, yes, they really did, and and it was obvious with uh, with Buffalo in the fourth quarter, like that nobody was getting home. Nobody was getting home, and that's why when Buffalo won the coin toss, it was like, oh, geez, almost zero chance they're going to be able to uh, create a three and out here. So, uh, the fact that they did, like, the, the, I thought the only way they were going to be able to stop them is with a turnover. And the fact that Buffalo runs it on first down in overtime and then just goes, like, just with nothing, three and out, give the ball back, Tampa scores. I, I That's really not how I saw that happening. Yeah, it's like the offense was the, – the Bills' offense was tired too or something because that was bizarre. I was ecstatic. Uh, game of highs and lows, right? Like you said, that coin toss, yeah. I thought that was catastrophic to not win yeah. that coin toss. It seemed like it. 
It really seemed like it. Um, so and sorry, just to get back. So just to get back to the, your first half um, analysis here. 24 points in the first half, and that was with a punt on their first possession. I can't remember if it was a three and out or not, but they punted the ball back to Buffalo basically immediately, and they still scored 24 points on the first half. So, like, you know, outside of the opening possession, they were just clicking on all cylinders, doing whatever they wanted. And then, like we've seen before, and like we've seen with good teams, bad teams, it doesn't matter in this league. No lead is safe because – Every coach is absolutely terrified, and they think once you get to a certain point total, you don't you don't have to score anymore. And it's just, I don't know what they need to see. Like, uh, it's really it's really something else. And you know, Tampa knew Buffalo. This was Buffalo's season, not Buffalo's season on the line, but it really felt like a must win for Buffalo, or at least a must show up, uh, in which they eventually kind of got on their horse and and did in the second half. But oh man, like. You gotta keep trying to score, and if you have Tom Brady and the way the defense was playing, stay aggressive. I don't know, man. It, it, ugh, it's just it's hard to watch when that happens. And understand this was coming from someone who had Tampa minus three, so that 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 is honestly like I know we joke about the gambling part uh, part of it, but like that's coloring my um, you know my view a little bit. But you gotta keep trying to score. These teams are too good. Too much random stuff ha- happens in the fourth quarter of of any of these matchups, and I don't know. It just it's like it's almost disheartening to see that from a coach that we respect and a quarterback that we obviously respect. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. all right, all right. Some of these teams, like the Vikings on Thursday night against Pittsburgh, of course, right? Whatever. It's Kirk Cousins and Mike Zimmer. That's that's par for the course. But it's like, come on, Tampa, just be better than that, right? Yeah. Do you see yeah. what I mean? For sure. A hundred percent. And not to, not to compare ourselves to the Vikings, but I feel a little better with it being like a guy of Josh Allen's caliber, as opposed to like Roethlisberger lightness up in the second half. But you're, but you're totally right, man. Like I know it's, cra- it, it's crazy. NFL's yeah. crazy. And there's lots to it. You know what I mean? Like obviously teams are throwing more when they're behind and there's a higher likelihood that they're going to go for it on fourth down. So you have to make another stop and all that. Right. So like, I understand that there's a reason why this, the game skews towards, um, you know, the team who's trailing to score some points, at least in the second half and make it look better. But, but like, but come on, I, I it's just, it's just hard to watch. And I, just putting Bucks fans through an unnecessary panic that entire last, like, hour of real time you know i don't know it was tough unbelievable uh and christopher cole to your point scott mentioning how they managed you know punting on on the first drive of the game still managed to put up 24 points in an incredible display of efficiency and execution in that first half led by tom brady christopher cole says if we would have scored on that last minute of the second quarter he goes on to say um it would have been 31 three at the half so they even had a chance to increase it even more of course uh Jim Melvin uh, watching on watching us on Facebook says Twitter is on fire today with Bucks hate. Brady cheated, the refs cheated, the Bills were robbed. It's incredible. Jim, you are bang on, man. I, I got a Bills fr- friend last night. He's all over me with all that stuff, talking about unsavory suggestions of what Tom Brady's doing with the officials before the mm-hmm. game and such. Pretty unbelievable. But our trusty Buccaneers insider from the Athletic, Greg Almond, does fantastic work. I, re- I retweeted it today. He says, and I quote, the criticism that refs are constantly helping Brady would make more sense to me if the Bucs were not literally 31st in the NFL in net penalty yards. Only one team in the in the league has a worse ratio of penalty yards against them versus what they have gained. So the Bucs are minus 207 yards in terms of playoff penalties. Sorry, playoffs, penalties. Yeah, yards off penalties, yeah. Thank you, Scott. Um, I knew you were going. But yeah, so it's like, I, I agree, you know, there was some, some I could see why Bills fans would feel that way with the timeliness of some of those plays, but every fan base feels that way, right? Like we, like, yeah. I mean, I think Bucks fans have felt like they've been on the wrong end of that, that side of the, the, the flag for so many years. Um, and that, with that tweet by Greg Allman, that fact, like the Bills are, are at the bottom of the league in terms of being the most penalized and losing the most yardage as a result of it. So shove that over over towards your bills fans or bills twitter folks like you don't need to deal with that let let them have it that's salty losers we, we ended up the buccaneers ended up on top so take some solace in that 
Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah, and I agree. Yeah, the penalties, I think they're talking about the pass interference not called in the end zone um, on Tampa. And then the one in overtime that was called up that left sideline right, uh, for Tampa, right? So I guess that those are the two um, scroll on Twitter today that was, uh, you know, drawing the most ire of the Bills fans, obviously. But, uh, Bill, just – all right, so b- biggest takeaway from the game. Like, where are, like, where are you? Well, biggest takeaway – Yeah. <laughs> Biggest takeaway for me is our offense when it's clicking is damn near unstoppable. That's really the takeaway I have all the time. And if we have even a some semblance of, of a solid defense, which that, that first half, I know it's easier when your offense is clicking and controlling the clock. If we have some yeah. semblance of a defense, anything close to what we saw in the postseason last year, the Buccaneers are Super Bowl favorites in my mind. That's how I feel. If anything, I get confidence because if this defense can really start to play um, and start to figure their shit out a little bit, and I think part of that's on top bowls too. Um, he was dialing up pressure from all angles, and it was incredibly successful in that first half. But you can't just automatically call the game the same way. When they start getting back in the game, you got to be willing to adapt a little bit, throw throw some things off. You know I'm a Bulls guy. I think I don't know if you're a Bucks fan how you couldn't be, um, but everyone needs to be accountable. Can't take your foot off the gas, but you also need to be strategic and when and how you do it. So th- that's more or less my takeaway um, from what okay. we saw yesterday. And just from like, you know, it goes in the books as a win against a pretty solid team, right? So great. But oh man, I mean, there's some skies falling stuff coming down if Tampa loses that game, just given how big of a lead it was and how comfortable they looked. Obviously, there's NFC seeding implications, huge, like gigantic. I mean, either way, but especially if they lost that game, right? Like that keeps them uh, keeps pace with the Cardinals and everything. I mean, you know, this is all moot. They won the game, so it's fine. But oh my goodness, like I'm just thinking, well, what could have happened with the loss there? I think, you know, whatever. Like we said, these blown leads are happening, and they're happening to everyone. So I guess that's kind of uh, you know nullified or whatever. But um, it feels like I, that was, I, I'd have to take a look at the schedule, but that felt like the last chance to really play a complete game against a really good playoff team or against at least a, what's considered a good team. Like Tampa was only a three point favorite or three and a half point favorite in the game, which is telling, telling everyone that on a neutral field, Vegas is or like Vegas is making that either a pick or Tampa minus one. So a lot of respect for Buffalo there. Right. Um, it felt like a great time for them. You know, it's 24-3 at half. Just win that game 34-17 or something, right? But, and once again, this comes back to a great, like a grander theme that we've had throughout the, for the team throughout the whole season. We're picking apart wins. And they're 10-3, and three, right? I think they're 10-3. and three. And so, you know, this is coming from kind of a ivory tower spot where we want them to look and look as good as possible um against the best teams possible so it's just interesting from that standpoint because like i said i thought it would have been a good time to just all right look at us we're rolling it's december and we just beat the shit out of the bills that would have been awesome but here we are with with definitely some questions to be you know to be answered for this team absolutely well said i'm glad that you said that um, because that has been the theme of our discussions our post post reaction podcast every week right like bo's been calling for it you've been calling for it for anyone who doesn't know scott scott is not a bucks fan so that's why uh, we love to get his unbiased perspective on things um and he gives it to us straight and they're you know they're a contender so i'd watch a lot of them anyway but especially with doing the pod and, and and everything i'm watching the bucks every week so it's just yeah, it, obvious, obviously, it's just trying to – who knows? And, like, they haven't had to play four quarters to win these games. Maybe they won't need to. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of teams aren't playing full games, right? So, you know, I, I maybe this, uh, if you want to call it criticism, is coming from an unfair spot or even just as a spot that doesn't hold much water. I don't know. I just – I think it's something to at least talk about just because of the depth of the NFC is so good and you have to beat these teams. That's all. That's more where I'm coming from with it. For sure. And again, like, I mean, if Antonio Brown was going to get released, it would have happened by now. So he's going to be back soon. And that just yeah. is going to take the absolute cap off this offense. Like it's going to be ridiculous. 
I mean, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, most impressive performances to me were just the O-line and the pass catchers in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and Fournette, of course. But, like, Evan Godwin, 10 receptions, 105 yards. Evans, 6 for 91 and a touchdown. But Love that. 6 for 6, like 6 targets, 6 catches. He had big catches. It, it's not like they were just right in his chest and he was body catching them. Like, he was kind of showing why he's special in, yeah. in some ways. Obviously, that, that beautiful... Uh, pass just outside the outstretched fingertips of the safety to then Evans fingertip catching it like just high point in the yeah. ball with such ease there um, that's why you see remind people how special he is like combining him with with the steadiness of Godwin who does a little bit of everything and it's just hey, an absolute Gronk. and then thank you like Gronk is just ridiculous yeah he's ridiculous so he's making people miss he's catching it you know he's getting yards after the catch like and then if you tackle him his body is three yards. You know what I mean? By the time he falls down, I don't, he's just, uh, he's, I don't, not that you forget, because obviously he's been pretty productive and he's had a good year statistically and all that, but it's like, oh yeah. And then they have Gronkowski out there, the best tight end of all time. It's just, it's wild to actually watch when they go. And like, because they have these guys and we like Fournette, he's been great, but if they go three and out, I'm thinking, on what planet can this team, can this squad not get a first down? Just don't shoot yourself in the foot. Don't get a penalty on first down, and don't have second and nine because of a, a like a ridiculous run up the up the middle. It's just and like, how do you stop them? How do you stop them for three downs? It's crazy. It's so hard. And and for whatever reason, it feels like Gronk is stepping up. Like Brady is looking to him when whether it's Brady's off, whether things aren't working with those two aforementioned star wide receivers, Evans and Godwin, the timeliness of Gronk's contributions this year, especially these last few weeks, just seems to make it that much more meaningful, his production. The safety net factor is so noticeable. It's like, okay, yeah, we always have this if we need it. Like, that's what Brady's thinking, right? And then Gronk also is the perfect personality to be in that role because he like he's not out i don't think he's ever complained about uh how many balls are thrown to him or touches or like he looks happy he's happy when other guys are scoring touchdowns too and he he's just ready to play when he needs to i don't know like i'm really gushing over it right now it's just it's just such a luxury to have well for me like this season has opened my eyes to a new, a new angle of gronk right like obviously yeah. that's been, been the last two seasons but the whole first half of last year gronk was not getting many targets he was blocking but he was people were really unsure as to whether or not his he even though he was unretired whether or not he really was back and it took some time but he he wasn't making any noise he wasn't drawing any attention to himself at that time so as like pull i don't want to know if he's polarizing but as like ridiculous of a personality as gronk is the attention he receives it really does stem from his play he's not bringing it on himself He's just more in the limelight when he is performing, and that's when his personality really comes out. Um, but in terms of like talking about his presence on the team in the locker room, as you mentioned, um, like Leonard Fournette in his post game was was quick to point out how how tight knit of a group this Buccaneers team is, especially you know running it back with all the same starters this year, and the way he was saying it, it just seemed very genuine. So, you know. That cohesion and comfortability between the players and everyone getting along and looking out for each other sounds cliche. Sounds like it doesn't really matter, but even at the NFL level, trust me, it does matter. Um, so, just a couple additional things there on the defensive side. Three, a couple guys like Shaq Barrett. It was nice to see him generating a ton of pressure. Came away with a sack and a half. I find the Bucks pass rushers, Shaq Barrett especially. He really comes to play when they need him to in big games. Yeah, You know, that Super Bowl game versus the Chiefs, like when he's playing it, he gets geared up when the lights are on. He and, had the uh, big play against the Colts a couple weeks ago, right, when it looked like, you know, Carson Wentz is just carving them up like crazy, and, and Barrett made the strip sack, right, or the force fumble anyway. Um yeah, he, he just has a he has he looks like he has a nose for the big play as much as any of those stars on that defense. For sure. And Romo was quick to point out how much of a bargain he was he was tipping his cap to Jason Light and Mike Greenberg without saying their names, but just to the front office of the Bucks for locking Shaq Barrett up on the deal he's on, comparing it to TJ Watt in terms of the 
the numbers and then just the statistics on the field as well. Just saying how, yeah. how much of, of a bargain that is. I was, I like to hear that from Romo Antoine Winfield. I mean, he's just so solid. It's crazy. We say the same thing every week. He had nine tackles and he's just so solid patrolling the back end of the defense, a true veteran um, in a second year player's body. So you got, I can't not shout him out and Devin white, you know, getting in the backfield a little bit. Um, sack and a half that's nice to see he's being a little more um, successful on those blitzes when he gets into the backfield you saw him piggyback on Josh Allen there literally jump on his back that's how big Josh Allen is by the way you got Devin yeah, White on your back he's huge he's uh, he's gigantic it's crazy yeah it wasn't until I saw him giving Devin White a piggyback that I was like holy shit yeah that's- yeah that's, I mean that good in- good indicator Really, anyone who can piggyback Devin White, I would say it's substantial. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I mean, you know, when when we look big picture, so after that game, yeah, lots of complaints coming in, but I think most people are just satisfied, at least in the Tampa area and anyone with the, with the Bucks leaning uh, bias. The Bucks are still leading the NFL with 31.5 points per game. Uh, they're putting up 410 yards per game, which is also first in the NFL. And in 11 of 13 games this season, they've put up 350-plus yards. So even though they have these lapses, Scott, which are totally need to be talked about because, because the numbers could be that much more prolific, like I think that's yeah. what's the, the most mind-boggling of it all, uh, they're still leading the league in, in the main metrics in terms of putting up points. So still a good sign. Still waiting to get Antonio Brown back. And, I'm, I mean, he was their best receiver statistically this year yeah. before he went down. Like a major it's like the, you know, it's like the kid that has the uh, the A minus average, but uh, you know isn't put. You, they they have that uh, they have that honor roll, like they have that A plus in them, and they, didn't, they just feel like they don't want to get there. And hey, I get that, not from the smart part, but from the you know from the uh, not wanting to put in the work part, um, you know, uh, in, in that analogy there. But um, it's just like it just leaves everyone wanting a little more. They leave everyone wanting a little more. Talk about the defense. Everybody loves everybody loves Todd Bowles. You just praised four different guys on the on the on the defensive side of the ball. They got absolutely carved up. Oh yeah. They got absolutely carved up. They got yeah. carved up by Carson Wentz. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there, it's there's just something missing a little bit from, on the defense. I don't know exactly what it is. If if they're letting teams get into too much of a rhythm or what it is, but with who they have there, and obviously the confidence that Bowles has. Um, from the whole team and like let's let's face it the fan base but it's just not that great of a unit really and this is all, all like i said comes under that umbrella of being 10 and 3 they're not terrible but it's just imagine if the defense was really clicking because it's not you're right like i can't argue that you're totally right like yeah. i'm pointing out pointing out a couple names who i thought played well um but as a group, the, the unit has not performed this year. And I, not trying to make excuses, I felt like last year their postseason run was a bit of an overperformance. And I said as much, you know, but those things happen. Teams go on runs. Um, but they've, you know, they've had one healthy starting cornerback most of the yeah. most games this year. You know, I mean, that's pretty yeah. significant um, at that position and- with how the NFL has played these days. They've been missing safeties game game in and game out the only aspect of the team that has been consistent from a health and availability perspective is the front seven yeah right the d tackles d ends and the linebackers and what do you know they're leading the nfl well the rate at the top as usual um in in guard defending the run right so it's the secondary if we want to even get more specific and and nowadays that includes the linebackers so devin white's coverage issues has been much talked about by us um, is definitely a big part of that. Just to kind of break it down, because you're, you're right, man. That needs to be talked about. No, for sure. And, and you know, if we want, like, speaking about this game specifically, it's actually, it mirrored the Cincinnati-San Francisco game, which was, you know, happening at the same time and causing me dual strokes, if that's even possible, but it was. Um, One to each if, side. If, yeah, exactly. It was, yeah, it was tough. But, you know, Tampa, the offense doesn't stay on the field, and that pass rush had no gas like the, the, the Tampa D's pass rush uh, because Buffalo had the ball the entire second half. Right. And if you look since and San Fran, same exact thing, Burrow and Garoppolo had all the time in the world. The last 
last bit of the fourth quarter plus both drives of overtime because everyone's just completely gassed. So, like, that's understandable, but that's where it's on your offense to have, like, that one six-minute drive or something in the, in the second half, and it just takes so much pressure off because maybe take, like, A, the rest, and then, B, if you have the ball for that long, you're probably tacking on points at the end, right? So it's uh, it's all related. It's all related. Like, it isn't that hard, right? Like, it, was, it isn't that hard to see what's happening. And I think that was – I think the defense was a casualty of, of the, the brutal game plan by the offense in the second half. I agree. I think it, I honestly would place it more on the offense. And I know that yeah. seems unfair when they put up that many points. But again, three points in the second half, if we're talking two games, they kind of hung the deal to dry a little bit. It was a great defensive first half for the Bucks. So lots of issues and ways you can attack it. Uh, Matt Ferguson uh, on watching us on YouTube. Game ball to Lombardi Lenny for not only going over the century mark with one tutty, but his blocking in the passing game, Exhibit A on the walk-off TD to Bashad Perriman in overtime. Love that, Matt. You're right, man. Like, I've been yeah. really impressed with Fournette's ability to pick up the blitz. Not only that, so he's turned himself into a true three-down back. Like, coming into this year, best-case scenario would have been if for Leonard Fournette, if if he were to um, take over the reins of being that first, second-down back, which would mean Rojo's out of the picture, the thought was Giovanni Bernard would be maintaining the third-back duties due to his prowess as a blitz pickup, a blocker, like a pass pro, and his hands as a receiver. Well, not only has Leonard Fournette admirably stepped up and and uh, overturned his reputation as a mediocre at best blocker, he's actually been excelling in that part of the game in his pass protection, especially of late. And then additionally, he's been catching the ball so well. So he's really proving that he is a, a capable three down back, the one that was drafted fourth overall out of LSU uh, by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Fourth, right? He was fourth, Scotty? Fourth. Yeah, ridiculous fourth another good question by matt matt ferguson on youtube do you think we keep ab with the emergence of brashad perriman the ab situation there is nothing harder to predict in my life in the world than what's <laughs> going to happen with antonio brown and that could be anything to do with antonio brown i will say that what do you think scott actually what do you think well i that? mean there's a precedent there's certainly a precedent for teams just like cutting ties with them and seemingly being more than okay with it, right? Um, you know, the Steelers obviously was toxic. Uh, the Raiders, he didn't even play it down. And actually, I can't even – I can't remember exactly what happened in New England. I think he only played two games. Then some sort of charge came out against him, right? Is that – I think that's why. And then he then – he, Yeah, it was so, a domestic, domestic issue. With oh, okay. So there you go. So not, not great. Uh, pretty deplorable, actually. Um, but, you know – it seems like they shouldn't need him, right? Because of all, everything they have, and you know, if he's if he's you know super toxic in the locker room, and people are you know he's he's polarizing and all this, then yeah, I don't even think you, I don't even think you question it. But his productivity combined with, I don't think he's been that bad. Um, this is relative, but he hasn't been that bad of a teammate or anything based on the reports. This is just a dumb, whatever personal decision that he made with the fake passport, right? Which is, uh, uh, you know, obviously in its own way, being a poor teammate and all that, but it's not as directly affecting his team and the chemistry as, you know, some of the things he's done in, in other stops, right? So I don't know. Like you said, trying to predict what's going to happen with Antonio Brown is, uh, not something I've I've tried to do, um, but he's been really good on the field. So if they think if they can get past the off the field this iteration of what he's done off the field, then I yeah I think they keep him. And I think emergence of Bashad Bashad Perryman is is a little bit strong, right? Like one cat one catch for 58, 58 exactly. Hey, great, great. He made the play, and you know, awesome. But Antonio Brown is still just electric when he's on the field. And, uh, yeah, we'll, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, any other comments, folks? Bring them in. We're happy to discuss. Uh, getting some great, great suggestions um, and opinions. Really good. So far, Thanks. As usual. Um, yeah. one, in, one I have, like, if I was watching us right now, I'd want to know, like, what is up with Scotty Miller? Because it seems bizarre that he has been 
activated for a few weeks now. We've barely seen him on the field, especially after he seemed to really work his way into the good books of Bruce Arians, Byron Leftwich, and most importantly, Tom Brady last season. Felt super confident as him, in him as a far more than adequate like fourth receiver or capable of I, stepping in that third receiver role. I love him. I don't know. Let me, I don't, maybe I'm by like, it seemed like every time I watched him the last year, like last season, he's making a big play. Obviously he has the monumental play against green Bay. Right. But like seem to have a good rapport with Brady, great route runner in the middle of the field. So you can keep Evans and Goblin on the outside. Right. I, it's just some, something's up there, right. Something's off. I don't know. Weird. I mean, yeah. So I'm super curious about that. Like, and I mean, in the chat, um, Matt says Scott Miller doesn't run great routes. I mean, Scott Scotty Miller do, does what he does. He's 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 there to take the top off the defense. So he's fast enough. I mean, how polished his routes are is one thing. He can get open. He's shown the ability to get open. But they line him up in the slot too, right? Like like I don't know. He's pretty. Ver- I just mean he's pretty versatile for a guy that is not getting like basically any snaps, kind of thing. Oh, I, I agree. I, I don't think yeah. he's done anything to, at least to the public eye, dispel the notion that he's a solid NFL receiver. So really perplexing um, to me anyway. Uh, a couple people in the chat discussing. Should we, should we check his passport? Should we check his, uh, his his vaccine passport? I don't know. Maybe. Just, oh, could be. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's probably a sensitive joke right now. Carl Hardy, I believe this is in reference to Leonard Fournette. It is. The previous comment from Matt was Buccaneers need to get creative to keep Lenny. Carl Hardy says keep him for a Super Bowl run. I mean, he's not going anywhere until this Super Bowl run goes down because we got him for the rest of the season. Um, But the question is, I mean, they're going to want to bring Lenny back. That's for damn sure. I think we touched on this briefly but didn't really get into it too much. I mean, obviously, the key word that Matt Ferguson said is you got to get creative to keep him. It's going to be the case with a lot of guys. You're going to have to weigh the value of certain players. I mean, Ryan Jensen is up for a new deal, right? To me, the MVP of this team, if you got to pick, it's the offensive line. They've been absolutely incredible next to Tom Brady. But um, so key cog, key cog, Ryan Jensen right in the middle. I mean, his value is so much greater than a casual fan would recognize. And I know. Most of the people in here are far beyond casual fans, so I'm sure they do recognize the importance of someone yeah. like Brian Jensen. I would hate to lose him. I think he's making around 10 mil right now a year, and he's had the best couple years of his career. Uh, well, I'm really curious to see what Mike Greenberg is able to uh, conjure up in terms of being able to bring some guys back because they can't keep everyone like last year. Voidable years only go so far. You don't want to end up looking like the New Orleans Saints. Um, oh, goodness. Yeah, so I don't know. And I don't I, I gotta think after this season, Fournette's gonna want to get paid and, and get a couple years there at such a volatile position from a health yeah. and safety perspective, right? You know what? And like I hate to say it, but let's say he moves on and someone pays him. Um, I think you just have to chalk that up as wow, lucky to have him. He was a huge contributor, and let's hope he's a he's a huge contributor again this season. But you know, you can find guys, you can find guys. Uh, to play that position, right? So, like, no no shots to Lenny. I think he should try to make as much money as he can. I hope he does. I hope he gets a great offer somewhere. Maybe it's with Tampa. But, um, you know, if you have to lose someone, it's he's valuable but weirdly replaceable at the same time, right, just based on the position he plays. So Even compared to someone like Ryan Jensen, I think all pro caliber center. Oh, I don't. Um, it's not even a question. Yeah. yeah. Uh Carl Hardy, what's going on with OJ? Is he hurt again? Oh, uh, what? Oh, what else is new? Shocker! I can't believe it. No, she's not saying he is, hurt, or he's not saying he is hurt. She's they're asking if he's hurt. Yeah, he probably is. Like OJ Simpson has played more football than him in the last five years. Like it's, <laughs> I know that's, I know it's obviously an insane mm. person take to be personally offended at someone's injury history because you know he's not trying to be hurt or whatever the deal is with OJ Howard. Like, come coming, on, from, coming, from, coming from a guy who said he had two strokes just just today. <laughs> yeah, but I, I I recovered pretty well. I mean, it's Monday, two strokes later, co-host of a pod. You are um, here. Anyway, uh, yeah. Sorry. I'm shocking about Howard. 
not at all. It's it's yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Speak, speaking of a guy playing on his last uh, the last year of his deal, I mean OJ Howard is gone. I don't know where where he's going to be or what he's going to command. Someone will take a shot on him. He's certainly staying in the NFL, but clearly, I mean he's he's well behind Cameron Brait on that depth chart. And uh, yeah, I think. I think the reason it takes me, it, it gives me so much personal offense is I really thought he was going to step in to this league and be like, oh my goodness, he's the third best tight end, tight end in the, in the league in his, you know, by his halfway through his rookie season. Like just when you're that talented and you're that big and you have those, like, how do you miss, right? Like, how do you, how do you not just, how does it not translate? And it just, one of the ways is is not being on the field. And, you know, obviously I was joking a little bit. Like it's it sucks when people are just hurt for the first part of their career or any part, but you know, and they, they can't get off to a good start as a result. But yeah, man, this is another classic example of that, unfortunately. So in terms of uh, Matt Ferguson on YouTube, I would cut ties with OJ and keep Brate. I mean, Brate, I don't know the when his deal is up, but I do know Brate is overpaid. And I can't believe the deal he has. That's like the one blemish, if you ask me, on the current roster construction. Is how, how much, much he make? How much he's making. Um, based Sorry. on just No, that's okay. It's easy. He, so he signed a six-year, $40 million contract. Um, his Six last years? Yeah. That seems incredibly long. Eight, $18 million guaranteed. Um, average salary of $6.8 million in 2021. So... He earns a, but a lot of that is creatively done. So his base salary is only like one point seven five or whatever. Um, to be fair, to be fair, there's always there's probably some, you know, worry about Gronk's health and and how how uh, durable he would be, right? So, bit of a security blanket there. For sure, and he's been really good in the past. But here's the thing: I don't like when I'm talking about not liking that deal. So, like, yeah, we're gonna be stuck with Cam and Braid, if you ask me, because he's given us a seven point two million dollar cap hit next year, seven point nine the year after that. So, 2022-2023, um, you know, that that's a significant portion of that's quite a cap hit for a backup tight end, in my opinion, um, and one who I still like, even despite his limited role, would have expected to be a little more productive. I I feel like he was better two years ago, Cam Brate. So, I mean, yeah, he's a smart guy. So I don't know if he's going to – there's going to be any renegotiating of that deal from him. When I played linebacker when I was six, they called me Cap Pit. So I don't know. Just uh, just make, if That's anyone wants good. to comment, maybe look it up. Just just throwing that out there. Um, yeah, just kidding. Um, yeah, no, I think, you're, I think you're bang on about Brate then with the, way that's, with the way that deal is structured. I mean – yeah, those numbers on uh, Sport Track there. Um, so, contract details. So, anyway, in terms of the Bills, like they're still clinging to an AFC wild card spot currently, and they have a pretty light schedule to finish out the season, um, aside from when they travel to Foxborough. But I feel like that's going to be a revenge game for them. And if Josh Allen's healthy, he tweaked his ankle. So, they're, they're saying his status for next week is questionable. Maybe we get a Trubisky game. But my point is the Bills cannot afford any more losses. So, if he's good, he's going to have to play for them. Uh, but that's kind of a scary wild card team for someone to have to face in the AFC if that team can get healthy. We saw why in the second half of this game. Yeah, I mean, like they're good is good, obviously, but do they need to be down multiple touchdowns in order to get to it? Right. So um, I don't know. It, you know, for those who listen to the podcast on Friday, um, we had a guest on uh, Maddie Marr, who was awesome. Uh, talking about the Bills and just uh, kind of outlining their season and, and how it's gone and, and what needs to happen kind of uh, over the last four or five weeks here in order for them to to get to get right. But yeah, they're dangerous, or they could get absolutely dismantled by someone. It looks like to me, just the way it's going, they're just missing something. And even though they had this big comeback again, they were down by twenty-one at the half, right? Like that's that's telling. That means something. Yeah. And you and me have kind of like we're, we lean different ways on that team. Like I'm for whatever reason, a little more optimistic about the bills. Like when it matters, like I still believe in them, not to say you completely don't, but you've been a, like, if anything, you would be winning that battle if we'd actually taken harder stances on it uh, this it's, year, obviously. It's, it's just, I don't know, that weird lack of pop that, that, that it just hasn't carried over from last year to this year in like a, a linear way where they were, 
obviously really good. They lost in the AFC championship game, which then, you know, you take the next step and you're the one seed and you're hosting the AFC championship game or something like that. Right. They're just, there's something going on. They don't have the same, they don't have the same like pep in the step, I guess. I don't know. It's just, it's yeah. It's just, you, you can watch it. And I think it's due to a, a lack of playmakers on the outside uh, personally, other than Diggs. but we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, they still have half the Pats, but like you said, I mean, they get, Carolina this weekend, who is an absolute train wreck. Um, obviously, the Bills would still be favored, even with Trubisky, uh, if he were to have to start a football game again, which, um, you know, nobody wishes that on anyone to have to watch, right? So uh, that'll be interesting. Yeah, Allen did leave the Buck Stadium in a, in a boot. He said it wasn't that big of a deal, but, you know, not great. Not great to have to play the next week, uh, especially – against such a subpar team, right? So we'll see what happens there. For sure. And I mean, you know, uh, our guest last week, our Bills guest from the Fan 590, Matt Marchese, he he said he wanted to see Josh Allen run more. He said he, that's what they needed to do. And true. he had 109 yards rush in that game. Yeah. Um, which, you know, was is an incredible success on the ground in itself against this Bucks, this vaunted Bucks run D. They gave up 173 yards to the Bills overall, so a couple big runs from Singletary, and, and yeah. um, you know, that'll do that. But then again, on the flip side, the Bills hadn't given up a 300-yard passer to a 300 yards passing to a team this year. Brady threw for 363. So yeah. both teams really attacked the opponent's strength in that game, um, led to a, a much yeah. tighter contest than most of Bucks Nation would have liked, but it was uh, entertaining television at the very least. Let's move along here, Scotty, and discuss I, yeah. anything else that that it maybe is on our mind or popped out in terms of uh, the games yesterday. I mean, first yeah, yeah, I, like I, I kind of hinted at it, but just the you know the inability for these teams to hold on to leads is is really something. I think you know, obviously, that Thursday nighter Minnesota Pittsburgh was surreal to watch in real time. Like it was a train wreck inside of a burning building from a bike standpoint, like it was really something else. Right. Uh, so we see that they do everything they can to blow the lead. Dallas needs as like maybe a bit of a lucky fumble call, but you know, if that game goes any longer, they blow that lead to Washington. Um, we've just had these instances where team like, any team or, but, but it's, but even good teams, like no lead is safe. And these coaches just get so complacent. And you know, like I said, we, we've scored a certain amount of points. We're good. We're good. We don't need to score anymore. We think we've got this. And um, yeah, it's just, it's super hard. And it, it's, it's why I'm always as, you know, like if you're looking at the, from the gambling point of view, it's really hard to lay points with any team because no coach is trying to cover Right. No coach cares. They literally don't care. They just, every win's a good win out of the, like leave this city with a, you know what I mean? Like that it's, and it's like a league wide pandemic kind of thing. Right. So um, look, what it, look what it took for the bucks to cover that game. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, no kidding. Oh my God. Talk about strokes. Um, but yeah, man, like, like that's kind of my takeaway uh, as a, as a macro thing. Oh, the Browns. The Browns are up 24 to 3, and Tyler Huntley is the quarterback, and they can't win that game by a field goal, right? Like Baker is just a, Baker is the when you look up the, the word like regression in the dictionary, it's a picture of Baker Mayfield. He's so I know he's banged uh, up. I know he's, he's banged so, up. Uh, I know he's banged up, but man, yeah. I'd be getting off it. I'd be getting off trying to rebuild that position while while the rest of that Cleveland Browns roster is so elite because i truly believe it is aside from the receiver position they need to add some juice there obviously after losing odell beckham not like he was giving it to him but like i really yeah, like that maybe. roster as you know and they need something better at the quarterback position. yeah but like, i don't know how you, like they're favored by six against the raiders this coming actually we get two saturday games by the way which is awesome that'll be great patriots uh, play too saturday is that patriots right at the Colts saturday night which looks super fun Super fun. Um, I don't know how you how anyone in their right mind, like, yeah, obviously the Raiders got blown out, but you almost have to throw that game away because it was so ridiculous, right? Like, uh, you know, Cleveland 
they're going to need to win by a touchdown to cover this week? I don't know. Who is trusting Cleveland and Baker to beat anyone with a pulse that isn't in like a nail-biting game here? Uh, I don't know. That's just like an early lean, obviously. But um, yeah, they were tough. I actually thought Tyler Huntley played pretty well. I watched most of that game. Um, you know, he was he struggled early, but to come in and really give them a chance to win was uh, was pretty impressive. I thought. You know, like it's so funny. Oh yeah, quarterbacks, backup quarterbacks, always be ready. Next, you're one play away. You're one play away. No, you're not. Like no one ever. You can't think that way because it doesn't happen. It rarely, ha- and then you just have to go in and play in an NFL game. It's it's so not it's so impressive when they actually do it well. Yeah, the reality of staying ready is a completely different beast than discussing. Yeah. It. Next Absolutely. man up. Next man up. Yeah. Oh, okay. Really? Well, wasn't really. Uh, you know, assuming Lamar was going to roll his ankle or whatever actually ended up happening. Looks like he's going to miss this game this week against the Packers. So. Oh, is that uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. As of now, I mean, if something. I think kind of big would have to change. I guess we still have six days, but um, yeah. Uh, so some other take, some other takeaways, just kind of from a playoff point of view. Kansas City, wow, they are peaking at the right time. I think you could say everyone is was a little bit uh, early on the worry train. Uh, and what a Thursday nighter we get against Cannon Arm Herbert and the Chargers. I don't, I, I can't remember every Thursday nighter, but that's going into the game that's got to be the best one we've had right like that's unreal yeah hoping to see it's going to be fireworks i mean because it's either fireworks or it's just a a blowout and annihilation of the chargers like hopefully keenan allen's back yeah i do just because the chargers defense is just not looking good right now and i'm worried about that meanwhile meanwhile spagnolo's got the the chiefs defense as we talked about last week looking looking like one of the better units so all of a sudden I mean that has that potential. I mean, I'm big on the Chargers this year. I feel like we we are we're all suckers for the Char- Chargers and the Bengals. Like J- Justin Herbert is so incredible. Oh, Sorry, quarterback. Yeah, yeah like, no, just because of Burrow and Herbert with the Chargers and and uh, Bengals, right? Like yeah, and and the receivers as well. Like they get both those course. teams have skilled playmakers to to complement those quarterbacks. So um, I love watching the Chargers. Man, Chargers are my favorite team to watch outside They're, of the Bengals. And they're always doing weird stuff. They have weird games kind of both ways. Uh, they really just beat the absolute shit out of the Giants this week. Like, oh, man, the Giants, they're they're tough. They are a, they are a true tough watch. Um, but, yeah, like Kansas City, San, or San Diego, El, Char, like the Chargers, I hear all 28 of the Chargers fans are super pumped to have a big game like this in their home stadium. So that's huge. It's kind of sad, eh? Like – God, what did they probably end up back in San Diego in a couple years? Isn't it so weird? Like in Los Angeles, no one cares about pro football. And in New York, they play in New Jersey. You know what I mean? Like that's four of the league's teams. I don't know. It's just kind of a strange thing, I guess, because there's so much to do in those cities other than not even like the biggest sport in the world in, in the States, right? Like pro football. I don't know. I've always I mean, just keep, found that they, strange. But they keep trying it out. They keep I know. Hey, let's put another one in there. I know. Oh, let's take them away. Oh, let's put one back from a different place. You know, it's just I don't even understand that. I don't even – it's ridiculous. I've never once referred to the Chargers as uh, Los Angeles or L.A. No, like, no. it's always just the Chargers because I screw it up so often with San Diego. Like, it's like never. I don't think that will ever change. Yeah. St. Louis Chargers. Uh, maybe. Matt Ferguson giving us some some predictions in here on YouTube. Uh, so we talked a lot last week about our who we think are the elite of the elite. Speaking of which, two of those teams are playing tonight with Arizona yes. and, and the Rams. I mean, we don't have too long, so I do kind of want to tee that up a bit. Scott, I'm sure you saw yeah. the COVID issues. Jalen Ramsey and Tyler Higby, the former Ramsey, of course, even a much greater concern for yeah, uh, the Rams' chances tonight. They're all on the reserve COVID list. Daryl Henderson I, already I, on that list as well. Yeah, and, you know, I was actually listening to a, a podcast at the board before we came on here, and they were talking about Ramsey's success against uh, Hopkins when they were both in the in the AFC South, obviously, with the Jags and the, and the, and the Texans. And um, 
Ramsey did about as good a job by the numbers as you possibly can against a guy like Hopkins. So um, for a, you know, for the, the antidote to DeAndre Hopkins being out of the game, like, let's face it, that's big. That's, yep. that's big. As soon as the news broke, so I saw on Twitter when it was first reported, I happened to be on like within a minute. So I yeah. immediately and I had I had seen DeAndre Hopkins receiving line at like 58 and a half. And I just thought it was low. But I was like, oh, well, it's Ramsey. That's just what happens. Right. Like, yeah, no, no point. Whatever. As soon as I saw that, I checked. It was still 58 and a half. So I hammered it and then it was down for a bit. And now I'm just seeing it's almost a full 10 yards higher. Wow. So, yeah, that's yeah. that's such a huge line. Move. Great, great job by you. Uh, my buddy, actually, my buddy Mike is probably listening. Michael Fawzard, shout out. Um, he bet Hopkins at uh, ten to one on that two touchdown bet, the multi touchdown oh, bet. And see it, the guy it was who's six. See the guy who's hit those before. Is that his? Yeah, he kind of like it. Like got our whole group on that thing. He was like the odds used to be way bigger though. Then you know our book kind of caught up to it. Anyway, uh, still got to that ten to one. And it was it was moved down to six to one after the Ramsey thing. So. All of a sudden, like that's hey, a lot has to happen. That's some pretty good value right there. And man, like I gotta say, like this sure feels like COVID is really starting to rear its ugly head again in the world of professional sports. Yeah. And you know what? Thirty six players. Yeah, yeah. The Bulls they they're canceling games in the NFL. Thirty six players today were added to the COVID reserve list. Just today, thirty six. Please, can can we? Can we not? You know what I mean? Like, can we not? We're all, it's almost Christmas. Can we just have like a normal thing here? Oh man, I saw that. I think it was Schefter that tweeted out the thirty-six or thirty-seven. Sorry, whatever you just said of uh, you know test today. It's like that sucks, man. No Ramsey tonight. That sucks. This is such a big game. Uh, he would be so exciting to watch in a game like this. Like. I don't know. It's just, it's just so disappointing. Yeah, and I, I like it, it sucks in my opinion, like for the Bucks in a way, because a Rams win would go a long way towards tightening that race for the number one seed in the NFC playoffs. And I think for the Tampa Buc- Bay Buccaneers, having their, I mean, it's weird because of course the Rams are in that same race to a certain extent, but you've already got that one game up on them despite the yeah. head-to-head matchup. So for me, I would like to see the Rams win tonight to help the Buccaneers make things a little bit easier for them. Yeah. But but as discussed earlier, excuse me, and one of Matt's predictions, uh, again, Matt from YouTube, is his NFC Championship prediction is Green Bay versus Tampa Bay, a repeat. I mean, I feel like there's a damn good chance of that happening, and I tell you, if that happens, I want it to be in the friendly southern confines of Raymond James Stadium, not the frozen tundra. Yeah, I, yeah and like I, I hate to cop out, but I'm not making any sort of predictions until I see the matchup combinations from both conferences. There's just too much that can happen with the seeding and who's going to make it and who's going to host playoff games. Like it matters. And um, it's a very even league right now. Like I think the, the parody is awesome. I, I think, I don't know, eight teams could have a reason. Like the, their fans are thinking we have a real shot to win it this year. Like that's awesome. That's that's fantastic, and that's why I I'm excited for these last four weeks of the regular season to watch. But I'm more excited just to see how everything shakes out. I, like because I think we're going to get an awesome first couple weekends of playoff matchups. Yeah, man, and it's just fascinating whether you're focusing on the NFC or the AFC. I feel like the NFC we've agreed like they have a little more elite elite teams, cream of the crop at the top. But the AFC is incredibly unpredictable. Like. I feel I don't like that the Chiefs, it feels like, are going to have what will be a little bit lighter of a path had they been in the, the other conference, the NFC. But mm-hmm. just the way it goes, I mean, they've showed a lot of issues anyway, and I don't want to get ahead of myself and focus too much on the too much on the Chiefs. But just a yeah, thought that has entered my They are this looming, you know, like volcano kind of thing, right? Like you can't help but think about – them just scoring 40 points against anyone anywhere down at any stage, right? Like it's, it's true. And they only, they only sit a lot of like, I, you, I'm sure you saw like there people are saying half their offensive production has been against the Raiders this year. So they're like, <laughs> 
just slow it down and it's like kind of like not that far from being true so yeah at, i mean the offense but but for them the offense hasn't been lighting it up and now all of a sudden the defense is playing well but that i can live with like i'll i'll go toe-to-toe with that version of the chiefs all day it's the offense hitting their stride i mean kelsey has been invisible these last few weeks which is bizarre like i i keep waiting for him to bust out costing myself a good unit every week on it um yeah betting on him to to surpass his receiving yards because it seems like it's gotten so low and he just keeps going under yeah i know i know but hey they're figuring it out um yeah we'll see man i don't know like it's so funny that the two quote-unquote best teams in the AFC are the, the Chiefs with Mahomes, but the defense is doing it, and then the Patriots with the rookie quarterback and, like, just this weird, you know, tape and glue team put together. I don't know. It's just, like, what's going on? Like, who could have seen that, I guess? I don't know. Certainly not me. I already just – I got a text from a buddy because I bet that the Patriots wouldn't make the playoffs, so that was solid. Paid it out today. Awesome. Did you? Oh, I thought that one yeah, was like, I, mean, I thought that one was like the steak dinner and the wasn't it that wager or that, not you, this one? We were going over some of the prop bets in the group today, but that was I wish I wish it was just a steak dinner. Couple rookies, by the way. While we're just you know getting ready to wrap up here, like Micah Parsons. I know we talked, oh. we texted today. What an absolute unit! Like this guy is a man on a mission, dude. He looks like something else right now. And a I don't bit know what of more... everything, eh? Like, just, like, what What can he do out there? It, when, you're, when you're so athletic and y- you appear that way on a football field against the other best athletes in this sport in the entire world, like, it's really something else. And he just looks different. He looks different already. The way he gets to the quarterback, how physical he plays, um, I don't know. He's, he's, he's just fun to watch, like, as fun a defensive player to watch as I can remember. Yeah, he he plays two positions. It's like that Khalil Khalil Mack thing where he's yes. gonna get take up two All Pro spots soon enough. Could be this year. Yeah. Should be that. Should be this year. Um, and then like another rookie, obviously Jamar Chase, given and Joe Burrow connecting late to to you know that was awesome. tie, tie things up with the Niners. I know that that was during uh, wait Bucks that was Bills. A, for, yeah during the Bucks Bills. I had it on the it little was at the TV. same time. Yeah. yeah, but uh, I saw that going on, so crazy. Lots of good rookies, lots of talent in the league, tons of parity, as you mentioned, um, and you never know what's going to happen next, and even when you think you do, you don't, as the Buccaneers proved with uh, everyone feeling extremely confident at halftime with that massive lead, and yeah. just as quickly it disappeared. So like we said, the, the theme of that Bucks bills game was a tale of two halves, two different games all wrapped into one. Yeah. Thank God for Brashad Perriman, though. Uh, hey. You know, a lot of people were wondering why he was playing so many snaps. I've already mentioned I, I'm surprised we haven't seen Scotty Miller more. But Bruce Arians stayed loyal to the guy he sees something in that every other team seems to write off, and he came up big. That was huge. Brady read the coverage right, just let him. And uh, linebacker's not going to keep up with Brashad Perriman. So that was huge. Bucks are, are, are going to be uh, – Going to be facing off against longtime division rival, the New Orleans yeah. Saints. Quick thoughts uh, on that one? I mean, so the Saints, like, taste. Obvi- the one thing I like is that they were exposed this week to a running quarterback. Like, if there was another person who was a good mold of what they need to prepare for in Taysom Hill, this oh, was the ideal, ideal tune. Yeah, it's the ideal tune up for that. So I like that. The Saints got Kamara back, of course. So the linebackers are going to have a big day. This is where Devin White and Levante David need to prove their worth. Yeah. Um, and, you know, where they stand in the NFL. Yeah, let's call it like, I totally agree, Colin. And, like, that's such a good point about um, playing against Allen leading into Hill. The, the Saints aren't that good. They beat the Jets, who are a train wreck, like, just so bad. Um, you know, and there's a bit of a revenge factor, obviously, after that weird loss uh, a couple weeks ago with Simeon and everything. Um, I don't know. I mean, this the Bucks Saints games are always exciting. I see that it's on Sunday night, so that's kind of cool. I can't. For, I'm not saying they're going to cover. I think they're an 11 point favorite, but um, I just don't see the Saints giving them much trouble here at all, man. 
Yeah, I hope you're right. There's just I'm never confident enough when we match up against the New Orleans Saints, just based on what I've been through. Yeah, what, what totally fair. Through. So I'm gonna I'm gonna just kind of step back, but I, I you know I can see why you would see that, and I hope that's the case. I hope you're right. Uh, we, we will see. We will see. So we're just about at an hour here, which is normally where we kind of cap ourselves. So to everyone who is participating in the chat on Bucks Report, thank you for joining in. Yeah, cap thanks as for always. Time. As always, Cap, uh, thank you. And remember, folks, please uh, follow us on Twitter at Bucks Banter. And uh, make sure you check out our YouTube channel, Bucks Banter. Please like and subscribe. Helps us out. And uh, we'll talk to you guys in a week's time or so. Go Bucks. Later, guys. Later, Bo.